Good morning, Faith Church. He will hold us fast. He holds us fast in salvation, and he holds us fast in sanctification. He promises to do a good work in us, even if it hurts. God wants his people to live um, holy lives. And I want to preface that because I think it's, it, the, this emphasis is important because this means that our living for him follows a growing holiness. Growing in holiness necessitates God's providential activity of spiritual surgery in the lives of his people to conform us into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And boy, does that hurt because it involves the chastening hand of God sometimes in our lives. We know that to be true, right? I know that is true in my life, and I believe that you know that is true in your life as well, Hebrews chapter 12. In Psalm 66, we hear the psalmist scream out in praise to his God for bringing the nation through what we know of, as you guessed it, I think, uh, purifying trials. The psalmist says, Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as silver is refined. Christian, in speaking to my own heart and to yours, we often have gaps between what we say we believe and the way that we live, yes? And our Lord is fully aware of this. He knows our frame. As Psalm 103 puts it, he has compassion on his children. He knows us, he, he himself knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. And so what does our Lord do to narrow those gaps so that we are able to spiritually see a bit better? Well, I think over the course of time, God has seen fit to uniquely sculpt, sculpt out a peculiar trial or trials for each and every individual Christian in this room. Why does he do that? Because he knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. He molds those trials, allows those things to come into our lives to remove the dross, to remove the scum that retard our growth in him. And so, yes, we have gaps in our growing holiness. Some are more difficult trials than others, yet each are uniquely suited to each of God's people. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. <laughs> trials teach us what we are, right? And they let us see what we are made of. Christian, trials will either kill our faith or they will shape our faith. Yes? Trials will kill our faith, or they will shape our faith. And the kind of people God wants us to be is a holy people of sanctified sobriety. 
of sanctified sobriety before God comes to set this world on fire. And the Apostle Peter and the church had to face a number of things, just like we do today, until at least the Lord comes to take his people home before that hour of trial, which, was, which will come upon the earth one day in the future. But for our purposes today, I would hope that we would see the kind of people God wants us to be. I would hope that you would see three responses to man's eternal destiny. And with that, I would ask you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18. Verses 10 through 18. I don't have this on the PowerPoint, but I just want to go ahead and read it to you just to sort of get our feet grounded for what we're going to be talking about this morning, today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. The context refers to the day of the Lord. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening, the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Verse 15. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in his letters, speaking in them of things in which some are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. Verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. Be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I said before that that section there refers primarily to the day of the Lord. That day refers to that particular period of time which God will supernaturally interrupt human history in a universal worldwide catechism, cataclysmic judgment on this earth. It doesn't refer to a single day. I know perhaps some of you may think that. It does not refer to a single day. The phrase day of the Lord is not a reference to a singular day. It's a period of time. It's a period of time. And if you prefer something more, you know, shorter to perhaps, you know, for the sake of our memories, the day of the Lord is this. God is coming to judge the earth. God is coming to judge the earth. 
And the question is whether or not we see it and how we ought to respond to Christ coming to the world in judgment. How do we respond to that? What kind of people are we to be? And so, in light of the reality of that day, I think it necessitates that we be sober. Be sober-minded. Have sobriety. Be sober because of God's final judgment. But notice, the, notice its timing. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will, will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. That period of time, it's going to come like a thief. Like, like a thief. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any idea when a thief is going to come and rob your home? I mean, the answer is kind of obvious, right? <laughs> I mean, what would you do if, if a thief just walked up to you and said, I'm going to go ahead and come rob your house October 23rd, 2 in the afternoon? What would you do? I mean, how would you respond? I think anybody in this room worth his salt would wait for the arrival of the thief to come, right? Wouldn't you wait for the thief to come? I think you would. And I think you would also witness, and he would witness his soon departure from this earth too, right? And since we live in corn country, Indiana, I really pity the fool who dares to enter into your home because we have more guns than people here. Right? No thief worth his salt is going to enlighten you about his whereabouts. And so when is he going to come? He's going to come in an hour which you don't expect. He's going to come unexpectedly. He's going to come without warning. And so in light of that, it necessitates a kind of spiritual sobriety. In light of God's divine judgment coming upon this world, yes? It necessitates a warning both for believers, but also for unbelievers. For the believer in Jesus Christ, not knowing when that day is coming will keep us with a kind of, yes, spiritual sobriety. Sober-mindedness. Focus on him. It stirs us to a continued growing more and more and godly kind of living. We will be likened to the parable of the ten virgins. Perhaps you remember that in Matthew 25, verse 2, where these virgins took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom who came suddenly. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Verse 10, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and then the door was shut. Verse 10 of Matthew chapter 25. And then verse 13 of that same chapter says, therefore, Jesus warns all. He says, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. What kind of people are we to be? What kind of people are we to be? He wants us to be a ready people. He wants us to be a holy people. So in light of our short stay here on earth, we are not to get lazy, we're not to become sluggish in our walk with our Christ, our Savior. I mean, let's not be unbelieving, right? Let's not be lazy. Let's be believing in our minds and in our actions with sobriety. So for us, this day won't take us off guard. 
which I'll explain in a little bit. But for the unbeliever, this day will overwhelm them. It will overwhelm them because they don't know what the scriptures say about how to be sober-minded in light of repentance and turning away from one's sins and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone. That day, that period of time will completely overwhelm them. It will completely overwhelm the world. That period of time will be an absolute day of terror, a day of shock, a day of awe, with no sense of sobriety by any stretch of the imagination. It's interesting because in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he was writing to them about that day. He was writing to the church about the day of the Lord. And what he said to them is interesting. He said, he said, you yourselves know, you know this. You know full well, I taught you this. You know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying peace and safety, peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon him suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape, end quote. The goal as believers in Jesus Christ in terms of what kind of people God wants us to be is progressively sanctified day walkers. Progressively sanctified day walkers. We're not talking night of the living dead. <laughs> We're talking day walkers, children of the light. And as God's people, we can be fully aware of this day because we are learning how to drink in the, in the scriptures daily, but walk in spiritual sobriety while eagerly looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we've got to learn how to live with sanctified sobriety. We've got to learn to be accountable to others. Learning to live in the light of what the scriptures teach in matters of life and conduct until the Lord removes us from this period of time to test the world that we call the rapture of the church. But unbelievers, you know, they're not daywalkers. Perhaps there's some in this room today. You're not a daywalker just yet, Maybe. We'd like you to be. But in the meantime, unbelievers of the unregenerate world are night walkers. People who progressively walk downward into darkness. No sense of accountability. No sense of sobriety. So this day, it's going to come like a thief. It's going to come unexpectedly. Suddenly. It will come upon the world and many won't see it coming. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, at least by way of implication, is how are we walking? What does our walk look like? How are you walking? How am I walking? Are you spiritually sober? Are you spiritually ready? And I think we need to be sober because of God's impending judgment. He says, you know, notice its intensity. Notice its intensity, the intensity of the day of the Lord. He says, Peter says, in which the heavens will pass away, Plural. Heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be, will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. We're talking about universal cataclysmic judgment of everything created in the heavens, plural. Everything. Everything. The heavens that we see up there when we look into the sky, space, plural. Everything. Peter has in mind, the, he's literally saying, he's talking about the uncreation of everything created by the hand of God. God is unraveling everything. 
everything. The roaring of the elements refers to every created atom, every created molecule that holds all things together being completely unglued by God himself as he supernaturally lights up every invisible atom in the universal display of smoke and flame. The universal display of smoke and flame. And so we're looking. The church is looking. The church is waiting. Looking for the hastening and coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. It's quite alarming, isn't it? (laughs) You know, one of the reasons for our walking in the light is he is in the light and learning how to walk in the light as he is in the light is because as we understand it, that day of the Lord does not spell doom for us, but that which is promised to God's people in accordance with verse 13, according to his promises. He promised us. His promises. We're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God is replacing things. They'll become a reformation of all things. But for the unredeemed world, what is promised us is a new home, a new heavens, a new earth. But what is promised for the unredeemed world, the day of the Lord is what is promised for them. The day of the Lord is what is promised for the unredeemed world. In other words, since they're already destroying and undoing the world, God is simply just allowing it to happen, but he's also stepping in to make it worse. He's just giving the world what they want. You want the day of the Lord, you will get the day of the Lord, and I will intervene personally. The Apostle John, he calls this period of time the hour of testing. That hour which is coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. In other words, there's nowhere you can run. There's nowhere you can hide. Everywhere a person will go will be utter terror and destruction. It will be the most frightening display of power ever witnessed and actualized as God tears every molecule, every particle. He will tear everything down in a frightening display of his power. You know, Luke, New Testament writer Luke saw that day and he describes it as such that there'll be no mistaking this time period, this day of the Lord. He said it this way, there'll be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, dis- dismay among the nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men's hearts fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This day was seen by the prophets. Isaiah saw it. Ezekiel saw it. Joel saw it. Zechariah saw it. Malachi saw it. All the prophets prophesied of this day. All the prophets prophesied of this period of time. They call it other names as well. They call it the day of visitation. They called it the day of vengeance. They called it the great day of God Almighty. Amos prophesied it of this day. And it's, <laughs> it's disturbing to say the least. And that's just putting it mildly. This is how he described it. Amos chapter 5, 19 and 20 says, He described this day as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him. Or he goes home 
leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light? Even gloom with no brightness in it? The point is this. This day, this period of time, which is coming upon the world, will be such a unique day on planet Earth that there's nowhere a person will be able to run. There'll be nowhere a person will be able to hide. There'll be no place of safety, no place of security. Danger is around every corner except in one person. Your only hope of security in that day, on that day, is in Christ alone. He's the only ark of safety on that day. Your only hope of rescue in that day from the day that he is coming is to flee to the arms of Christ in repentance. And that's why the writers of the scriptures say, run to Christ who is the ark of safety before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Zechariah said it this way, for it will be a unique day. A unique day which is known to the Lord Strange as it may seem, he says it this way, neither day nor night. But it will come about as an evening time, there will be light. Neither day nor night. Are you sober yet? (laughs) Is there a sense of sobriety growing in you yet? Notice also its result, the day of the Lord. Notice its result. You know, since final judgment comes as a thief, you never know how long you have. Jesus may return, or our life may be cut short. We never know how long we might have to to live, and the gospel is very simple. The Bible teaches that you are a sinner. You have violated God's commands. It does not mean that you're as bad as you could possibly be, or worse than any other person, but it means that you have violated God's standard. And he sent his son to live a sinless, perfect, holy life, to die on the cross, to satisfy the Father's wrath against sin to be buried and to rise bodily on the third day. And you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning he's master and in control of your life. You no longer own yourself, he owns you, and that you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. If you do that by faith alone, you confess with your heart the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, with all your heart to him, in repentance, he will save you. And if he saves you, he will also save you from that hour of trial, which is to come upon the earth. And so I invite you to trust in Christ as your personal Savior right here and right now, before that day comes upon the whole world. And if you have any questions or any questions at all, look, there are plenty of people here you can talk to. There are many saints of light who won't be partakers of that period of time, who are day walkers. You have plenty of people to talk to. You could talk to me. You could talk to Pastor Rod or Alfonso or Pastor Sam. We could arrange a time to meet with you or you can talk to a deacon or deacons. But I want you to know that God's final judgment is certain. The day of the Lord is coming and it will come when people are unsuspecting and unprepared. And so all of us, Christian Christians, myself included, unbelievers, we need to be clear-headed about this reality in our life and not to let anyone deceive us or convince us otherwise. I believe a second proper response to man's eternal destiny is to be looking for ways to make your eschatology practical. Eschatology, by the way, is a study of the end times. It's a study of the last days. 
is perhaps my favorite subject in theology, in the study of end times, but you know, perhaps all of us should take the time to read more. I think sometimes we have a tendency to ignore the last days because we think it's too difficult to understand. Or we should say, or we say, we typically say, you know, it's impossible to understand, or it's just going to go ahead and pan out anyway. But remember what Peter said, you know, some of the writings of the, apostle, of the apostles are difficult to understand, not impossible to understand. You can actually understand end times. You can actually understand eschatology in very practical ways. But the point of end times is to make a difference in how we live. That's the point of it. The point of end times theology, eschatology, is to make a difference in how we live. It's to make a difference in how we live, in holy conduct. This refers to a lifestyle. What does your body of life say about you? We're all going to sin, right? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We're going to stumble and fall. We're going to fall into what C.S. Lewis calls at times the bog of despondence. And another Christian who loves us will, will pull us out of those, those times in which we struggle, and even if we stumble and fall. <laughs> you know, spiritual growth and holiness is training ourselves to apply our practice with our position in Christ. Can I say that again? Spiritual growth and holiness is training ourselves to apply our practice with our position in Christ. You don't grow into becoming a Christian. You don't grow into becoming a Christian. It's the opposite. Because you are a Christian, because he saves you, and as a result of him saving you by faith alone, the byproduct of that salvation is that you grow. You grow. Our position in Christ happened once at salvation. You became a believer at salvation. That's one thing. And if you are born again in Christ at salvation, it follows that you put into practice your position. Some are more slow, some are faster than others, but we all grow. We all grow. There ought to be an outgrowth of desire as a result of the salvation granted to you by Christ, right? There ought to be. And sometimes our growing revolves rebuking. <laughs> sometimes our growing revolves, uh, involves rebuking quietly, behind the scenes, because that Christian, that person, that pastor, that deacon loves you enough to tell you the truth where you failed and how you can grow and so become day walkers, right? Can I say that? Become day walkers. I like how Pastor Rob Green put it. He said it this way, our actions ought to communicate what we believe. Our actions ought to communicate what we believe. And to the degree that you are not living out your role for Jesus, pick one area and start changing it today. Pick one area and start changing it today. I mean, that is the essence of spiritual growth. Rob Green also said this. He said this, the Lord wants us to see the final judgment as a motivator to how we live productively for Jesus. Our conduct must be holy. Our conduct must be holy. And he, again, God promises, he that began a good work in you will fulfill it. He will. He will fulfill it. Look at the day of the Lord as an opportunity for, for godliness. For godliness. Look at it as an opportunity for a balanced outlook. You know, godliness refers to a person's heart attitude. What's your heart attitude? What's my heart attitude toward God? For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, we read that the purpose of the Christian life ultimately is to please God. It's to please God. Is my purpose in everything I do and say reflective of a heart attitude that wants to please God? That is the essence of godliness. Have a balanced outlook. Have a balanced outlook. You know, 2 Peter... Chapter 3, it says this, that we are looking for 
and hastening the coming of the day of God because we know what's going to happen, right? We know what's going to happen. We know we're daywalkers. We know what's going to happen because of what the Scripture says. The outside world, the unregenerate world don't know that. Or perhaps there's an unregenerate person in here right now. Now you do know that. And so how are you going to respond in light of what you know now? In light of what you know now. And you know what? If you look at the particular passages, there's a, there's a sense of bittersweetness to it. There's a sense of bittersweetness to it. Because we have friends and family, believers, who are aware of this day, but we also look and see unbelievers, friends, family, uh, siblings who are unbelievers who will be partakers of that particular day of the Lord. We don't want them to be, and so what do we do? I would hope to God that we would take opportunities to minister the gospel to them so that they don't become partakers of that day, but partakers of the light, of heavenly virtues. It's bittersweet because we're promised the golden shores of eternity in Christ forever, right? Yes? To be with a family of spiritual light daywalkers forever, yes? But for the unbelievers, what is promised for them is a great white throne judgment, a lake of fire outside of Christ forever. There is no rescue there. There is no rescue there. There is no rescue. Only judgment. I mean, this is what Paul said. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he says this, you know, for after all, it is only just for God to repay. It's just for God to pay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to those who are afflicted and to us as well when the day of Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the, and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints. You see that? In his saints, day walkers. On that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. You know, that's why we do trunk or treat, right? <clears throat> that's why we have certain outreaches here because we want to have the opportunity to give the gospel to those people, individuals, friends, family, siblings, cousins, aunts, uncles, you name it, because we want them to be daywalkers. We don't desire that they be a part of the day of judgment to come. And Trunk or Treat is just around the corner. A number of those who, who, don't, even know, who don't even know who Christ is are going to come to this thing, this event that we're having here. And so ask yourself this question, what kind of people does God want us to be? Part and parcel of that is giving out the gospel. Listen, chunk or treat, let me just say this, chunk or treat or events like that are methods. It's not the method that saves them, it's the means. It's the gospel. When you give the gospel to that individual, as you give them candy or, or perhaps a gospel track or whatever it is that, you, that, that, is, that they hear the gospel, they have to hear the gospel, they have to know the gospel, right? That is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, right? To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is what saves. And the Lord gives us opportunities to have events to serve the community. And so take advantage of those opportunities in the freedom in, of Christ to which you have here at church or perhaps even elsewhere. Part and parcel of godliness is, 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 is to give those individuals the hope of the gospel. Let's learn to speak more by loving them enough 
to give them the gospel because there is a judgment to come, a judgment that you will never have to experience. You can serve the Lord knowing that we have a heavenly eternally, eternally promised to us, but also practice loving our neighbor by serving them the love of Christ. And should the opportunity present itself, give them the gospel, hand it a check, do something. Let us do something. Let us get out of our comfort zones. Let us stop being afraid. Let's be more afraid of him. Okay? Then be, then be more afraid of man. Let's be afraid of him and less afraid of man. And so let's be diligent. Can we do that? Can we be diligent in preparation? Peter says this to the church and it's an application to us. Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, blameless. Remember, I got to close here. Remember that the context refers to the day of the Lord. And since his day is coming, we are to be endeavoring to be found at peace with him by diligently putting out those things in our lives, the things that he hates. Mark this. God will, in his providence, will remove those things, whatever it is, that, or he'll even, 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 even if it's difficult for us he will even rip out those sucker branches that retard our growth in him. Why? Because it goes back to what he promised. He promised that he will do a good work in us and perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, I mean, that brings a humble appreciation. It brings a humble appreciation and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. God is patient. He's patiently awaiting. Yes, he has appointed a time in which he will judge. And so have a humble appreciation for the salvation to which you've been given. Have an appreciation for that. For the believer, you've received the grace of God in salvation. And so be committed to a consistent pattern of growing. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And keep focused, keep focused on growing. Keep focused on growing. As again, Peter says this, apply all diligence. Be diligent in your growth, in your faith. Apply moral excellence and moral excellence knowledge and knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. He goes on. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And you know, when we struggle in our faith, and we do struggle and we do grow in our faith, what happens? There is engendered in us a spiritual longing for his glory. You long for that day to come, because you know that once that day, on, that when that day comes, it will be redemption in heaven for us, unfortunately for the world, judgment, but at that point in time, we will see everything clearly the way God sees it in perfect holiness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this, this day. Thank you for the day of the Lord. It keeps us with a sanctified sobriety. Thank you for those who come into our lives, who invade our lives to perform spiritual surgery on our hearts with accountability. But Lord, Thank you, Lord, for your promises that you would do a good work in us. And for those 
who are here, perhaps you just walked in because you thought that God, you just, you just perhaps felt in your heart that you needed to be here for the unbeliever. You felt, you, perhaps that's you. This is your day of salvation. Today is a day of salvation. Don't leave this place until you know the Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts to see the word of God, to see your grace in the cross of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.